In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Nathan Hurst about hiring remotely. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 41. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski, and I'm here today with Nathan Hurst. Nathan is the co-founder of FreeUp. FreeUp is a marketplace that connects businesses with pre-vetted freelancers. I've asked Nathan on the show today to talk about his strategy on hiring remote workers. So hey, Nathan, how are you doing today? Hey, Charles, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. It's great to have you on the show. This is a topic I'm, I'm personally very interested in about, so I uh, definitely have a lot of questions for you. To get us started, can you give a little background about what you do and kind of your background? Yeah, so I started off as a broke college kid. I ended up starting a multi-million dollar Amazon business out of my college dorm room, selling baby products out of all things. And I got into it by doing a lot of trial and error, figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And when I came across the baby product industry, my business started to explode. And I had to start hiring people because I was working 20 hours a day. I was getting destroyed during busy season. My social life, my grades, everything was going down. And I had to start hiring people. And one of my first hires, just by luck, ended up being one of my best ones, my business partner, Connor, who's been working with me for over the past eight years. So there I am, a 20-year-old entrepreneur, thinking that hiring's easy. You just post a job and someone shows up and it works out. Well, I proceeded to make bad hire after bad hire after bad hire. And I quickly realized that college kids, not very reliable. And no 30-year-old marketing expert wanted to work for me as a 20-year-old entrepreneur. So I had to branch out of my comfort zone and jump into the remote hiring world, the Upworks, the Fivers. And I got pretty good at it. I built what I called my remote VA army. And I was, I was growing on all cylinders. I was hiring specialists from all over the world to help different parts of my business. But I always wanted a faster way. I didn't want to post a job and go through 100 people and spend hours and hours and hours to get the person that I wanted. And when I couldn't find a faster way, I built it myself. So three years ago, we created FreeUp, a marketplace where we get thousands of applicants every week, vet them for skill, attitude, communication, let the top 1% in, and then make them available to people quickly. Business owners from all around the world, heavily around e-commerce, with the 24-7 customer service and a no turnover guarantee. If someone quits, we cover replacement costs. So that's a short version of how I went from a broke college kid to starting two companies. Awesome. That's a lot to unpack there, actually. So I think the remote work thing is, yeah, like you said, there's a bunch of platforms for that now. And I've never seen the pre-vetted, that pre-vetted um, type thing, because as you've obviously sound like you, uh, you found, hiring remote workers is a skill, but also being a remote worker. Um, both are a skill in their own. Um, it's not like showing up every day to a job, to a desk and sitting there. Um, it's a whole different skill set that some people have and some people don't. Um, so vetting them ahead of time is actually a pretty, pretty uh, neat idea, actually. So Thank you. And yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, one thing that we realized early on is when you hire people or you hire agencies or employee or freelancer or VA, if you're only hiring people based on skill and track record, you're going to run into a lot of issues. There are other factors like that attitude and communication that are so important to having a good relationship. All right. So let's say you want, there's someone out there working in e-commerce. It's just themselves um, or maybe themselves and a founder or two, but they're doing everything internally right now. Or maybe they have someone locally kind of helping with uh, packing, you know, boxes, that sort of thing. But they want to look at 
remote a remote worker for some other skill, maybe customer support, maybe marketing. What would you kind of recommend people think about or look at when they're getting started? Yeah, so I always say to break it down into three different levels of hires. The first is basic, then you got mid, and then you got expert. So for a basic level freelancer or virtual assistant, this is when you think of outsourcing. Non-US, five to $10 an hour, they might have years of experience, but they're followers. They're there to follow your system, your process. And then you got the mid-level. The mid-level, they're specialists. They do the same thing eight to 10 hours every day. They're graphic designers, they're bookkeepers, they write Amazon product listings. You're not teaching them how to be a graphic designer, although you can tweak what they do to fit your needs, but they're not consulting with you either. They're doers. And then you got the experts, the 25 and up. They can consult, they can project manage, they can execute high-level game plans. Um, they can bring their own expertise to the table. So with that in mind, you have to figure out, do I need a follower, do I need a doer, or do I need an expert? And the best way to go about that is to, first of all, create a list of everything you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, and put it in order from easiest to hardest. And for that list, you're gonna focus on the followers, people that you can give these tasks to to get hours in your day back. How do you get two hours every day, 20 hours every week back? And that's gonna let you focus as an entrepreneur on a higher level, big picture, business expanding tasks. Now, the flip side of it is to come up with a list of everything you're not good at. What are your weaknesses? One of the best activities my business partner Connor and I did back in the day is we sat together for an hour and we just said, you're bad at this. And we would write it down. And at the end, we realized, yes, we complement each other very well, but we also had this whole list of things that we were doing every single week that we were not good at, and it was hurting our business. So we hired specialists, the mid-level, and we hired experts, the top level, to come in and turn those weaknesses into strengths. So step one is really identify what you're trying to hire for by thinking of, hey, do I need that follower, doer, expert, and then figure out what parts of your business you're gonna implement those people. I think a lot of people get hung up on the, kind of that beginning part of how do you actually when you say you just write down everything you do on a daily basis, a lot of founders, you know, co-founders, they're out there doing a little of everything. They're doing a thousand different tasks every day. Um, they're all kind of over the place. So that a lot of times you make that list, but there's no thing of saying, oh, I'm spending 85% of my time doing this. It's usually I'm spending five minutes here, 30 minutes here. It's all these little things throughout the day. How would you kind of tell someone to kind of put those into buckets and say, Okay, out of, you know, maybe I only spent five minutes here and 10 minutes there, but how can I group those together to make a meaningful role for someone? Yeah, and I'm actually going through this process now. So FreeUp is growing. I just hired six new customer service assistants to help out my team. And right now we're figuring out, hey, we have a lot of little stuff that get done and every day is different. Every week is different. Thursday's billing day. Monday, you're catching up from the weekend. So it's got a slightly different structure, similar to e-commerce where stuff goes up and down. So, and the other thing you want to avoid, which a lot of entrepreneurs do, hiring's hard. They make a few bad hires and then they finally find someone they like. So what do they do? They just load that person up with every single task, which is great short term, not so good long term, because if that person leaves or quits, you're starting all over. So if you do have a lot of tasks and you're spending a lot of your times, hire two to three VAs and then try to break it down into small processes. Create one new process every day, even if it's as simple as five bullet points. This is what you do. It gets done, get, it gets done at 9 a.m. 
every morning or it gets done every other day at noon, whatever that is, and start to systemize, start to set that structure of, hey, we have an SOP for everything. We have times that everything gets done. And little by little, you're taking stuff off your plate more and more. And don't don't forget to diversify yourself Obviously, if you're if you're trying to get an hour or two of your day back, you don't have to hire five different people. Use common sense. But if you do have a lot of these tasks, you can break it up so that you're protected if people leave or, or need a day off or get sick or, or whatever it is. Yeah, that's one of those things too. You don't want to start relying on you know certain people and have then there's like a knowledge transfer and you might not even be able to do it anymore. They're the ones that can do it. Maybe you're hiring a remote developer um, and you're not a developer yourself. They build this thing, but then they go away, and now you're kind of stuck. Um, so I like that idea of hiring multiple folks at the same time. So then you kind of have this checks and balances almost. So it's not just they're the only one that know what to do at that point. Exactly. You got to protect your business at all time. You can't make people irreplaceable. And if you get people that are become the core of your company, which is great, everyone wants that, that long-term person that can really help you, make sure you're doing everything possible to keep that person. Have honest conversations with them. Hey, are you happy here? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you want to change? What are your long-term goals? I'll even ask people, hey, do you see yourself here long-term? And yeah, they can always lie to my face, but usually they're pretty honest about what they're trying to do and I can adjust my game plan accordingly. And then obviously treating them right. I mean, I come up with a system where my core people, their pay goes up as the company grows. Every time we hit a new milestone, their pay goes up a little bit. And and you can you don't have to do that. You can do bonuses. You can treat people well in a lot of different ways. But the point is, turnover is incredibly expensive, especially when you're dealing with people that are key parts of your business. So when you get people that are fast learners, that are passionate and care and help you grow your business and save you time, do everything possible to retain those people. Yeah, I like that. But one thing you said there is kind of the... Um protecting the business. So I've talked to folks about this before, and I feel like there's a lot of people that are very nervous that somehow a, you know, a, a local worker is very secure, but someone remote is going to like run off with all the company secrets or do something bad, but because they're remote, you can't get them. Um, and they have just like insecurity about it. And I feel like that's something that holds up a lot of people from actually going ahead with this. Have you kind of run into that before? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the most common question I, I get asked five times every day, right? Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I can only speak for free app. I mean, there, I can't speak for every single marketplace, every single agency out there. I, I mean, there's always going to be a risk. There's nothing I can do to make that risk zero. Even if you hire your best friend to sit right next to you every single day, there's always a chance they do something stupid or, or they jeopardize your business in some way. It is so hard to get on the free up platform that once they get through our vetting process and they get in, they care a lot more about staying in and making you happy and growing their freelance business than they do about jeopardizing your business. In addition to that, even before free up, I hired freelancers for eight years and I never had a serious issue. And with free up, we bill over 14,000 hours every week and we've never had a serious issue. And I'm sure that if we bill enough hours, eventually something will happen. But my point is, it's a lot lower percentage than people think. And we've all heard the horror stories of Amazon blocking people's accounts for uh, multiple users and someone stealing information or sharing client data. So I don't wanna say there's no risk, but it is lower than people think. And the number one way that you can protect your business is to actually build relationships with these people. Treat them with respect, treat them well. I've had people that I fired 
but we left on great terms because we built that relationship and they didn't want to hurt me. I didn't want to hurt them. And no, no last pass, no NDA in the world is better than building that relationship. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of that, that thing, even if you had someone locally, you want each other, you want to just be good to each other. Um, it's not something, you know, because they're remote, they're, you know, not normal people. Um, you just want to act like a, <laughs> like a normal human, basically. Um, but you mentioned LastPass or something like that. Are there actually tools people use to kind of help at a like data security level to make sure things are protected from that point of view? Definitely. So, I mean, if you're using a bank account, a credit card, anything like that, they all have user permissions now. So you can set people so they only have view access, they only have limited access. You can do the same thing on an Amazon account with user permissions. Um, there are programs like LastPass that um, I use where if I do let someone go, I can quickly take away all their access instead of changing every single password out there. We have it in our terms and conditions and all that. And to some level, it does help. But are you really going to chase someone across the Philippines over an NDA? Probably not. Okay. So, yeah, I feel like there's definitely things you can do. Um, Role-based security, things like that. It's pretty much everywhere nowadays. So it's not a, uh, and like you said, different things in your, different permissions on credit cards. It's not a, it's not something that's new. This is something, even if you had local employees, it's just something you need to do. Now, when you start thinking of different roles and different kind of things people could do, what are some common examples that just kind of, to get people thinking about, hey, you know, in my business, is it customer service? Is it marketing? Is it like, what are some different normal roads people can go down for getting started with this? So for the basic level, you've got data entry, you've got product research, you've got um, customer service. In the mid level, you've got graphic design and bookkeeping and content writing, video editing. For the expert level, you've got marketing experts and e-commerce experts and web developers that can come in and ask you questions and help you create the scope of the project. So there, there's so many, I mean, we have over a hundred skill sets on the platform and growing. So there's endless possibilities. And part of, part of what's fun for me as an entrepreneur is, is kind of finding new roles. Sometimes I'll create a system that it doesn't really fall under any specific category. For example, today's our billing day, and I, I came up with an SOP that's kind of a combination of bookkeeping and customer service, but you don't really need both either of those experiences to do the task. So you can come up with systems and roles that are more unique to your business and experiment with different types of people to see who the best fit for those roles are. Hmm. I feel like some of the roles, though, when you so you said custom, something like data entry on one side, but something like customer service on another. Um, there's certain roles that are deep inside the company. If someone, you know, let's say someone makes a mistake with data entry and it's a spreadsheet that you look at every week and your weekly report, you know, your number's going to be off and you're probably going to catch, and you're going to be the one to catch it. And, you know, it'll delay your report by a week, but who cares? And you'll fix it and no one will really know. But things like customer service or anything client facing, user facing, what do you kind of recommend for that? Because I feel like those are kind of tougher roles that something where their action directly is seen um, by a user, by a client immediately. How do you kind of recommend looking into that or vetting the folks or what do you start there? Yeah, so this is how I built out the customer service on my Amazon business and I use the same process for my emails. I have people that monitor my Skypes and emails 24 seven, exact same process. So what I did was I created a list of first, the type of people that contact me, clients, customers, partners, podcasts, whatever it is. 
And then under each one, I come up with the most common scenarios. You're not gonna think of every single one, but you can get as many of them as you can think of. Returns, tracking numbers, complaints, all the things that go with that. And off of that, then you branch it down into different canned responses. Hey, here's a canned response for returns. Here's a canned response when someone asks a question about the product. And you also create a blacklist to start because you're working with someone new, they're handling sensitive information. Hey, when these emails come up, you leave them for me. You tell me about them right away. You don't handle these. So they know what not to touch. And you start off with the basics and you how you do it yourself and you have them watch you do it. Hey, this is how I customize this can. This is how I respond to this. Make sure they understand those scenarios. And you'd be surprised. You can clear out about 80% of what you do just on those most common scenarios. And once you get to the point where they've watched you, I have them create drafts. Don't send it. Just create the draft. I'll proof it, I'll give you feedback, and then you send it. And once I feel comfortable that they're creating the drafts correctly, then I let them do it on their own, and I monitor and I and I double check their work a little bit. And once I feel like they're actually comfortable, then I'll take a look at the blacklist, and I'll say, hey, you know what, let's try giving you this, let's try giving you this, and see where my comfort level is. And sometimes you hit a point with someone, you're like, all right, this is the most they can handle, and other times they surprise you. And then you're also gonna have new situations that come up that you just don't think of that you can create new cans for and add it to the doc. So if you follow that system, it really doesn't take that long. If you have a little patience, a week or two, you can have someone taking over your customer service, taking over your emails, being client facing. It really applies for any type of task like that. Hmm. Now, are you saying use some sort of like ticketing system or is this someone directly in your like Gmail account sort of thing? Um, are there like two people in there like checking emails, like flagging stuff for you? So I mostly use email. What I did now that we've gotten bigger is I added Zendesk. So people will work out of my emails and then I have one person at the end of every day who can check everything in Zendesk and see if anything was not caught and they'll actually post it in a Skype chat so that we can grab it just so nothing gets missed. So I even added a, a system to double check the work at the end of every day. Wow, so you, how many minutes a day are you spending on email now that you have the system please? <laughs> um, so for me, it's also different. So my email is a lot of stuff. You've got client stuff, but then you also have podcasts and partnerships. Most of my time now is spent on high level stuff, things that actually grow and expand the business. So where, where a lot of people get bogged down in emails is when they're doing constant repetitive things that they don't have to be doing. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm not doing. Most of my email time is spent on the expansion side. Okay. I like that. So what are some, what's, What's the bad side? What are some issues that people actually run into with remote that maybe you wouldn't run into hiring someone locally? And what are some things to kind of look out for? I think getting on the same page with expectations is so important when you're dealing with someone remote because you have to remember with freelancers, they have lots of different clients and every single client has different expectations, have different idea of what they like and what they don't like. So if you spend that extra time to say, you know what, this is how we communicate. Hey, these are my pet peeves. Hey, don't contact me after this time. Hey, these are the, the, the scope, the milestones, what we're trying to accomplish together. This is how we run meetings, whatever it is in writing, upfront so you're on the same page, making it as black and white as possible, that's how you avoid mistakes. Hey, this project isn't due next Tuesday, it's due next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time because we're different parts of the world and next Tuesday can mean two different things to two different people. So really going out of your way to clarify and communicate and I'll even give people a chance to back out because I'd much rather that people tell me, you know what, your expectations are, are too high, I can't work with you, than for me to figure that out two to three weeks down the line. And 
I'll give them a chance to back out. I'll give them a chance to extend the due date. I'll make sure I have everything in writing. I'll ask them, hey, are you sure this is reasonable? Are you 100% sure you can accomplish this? I'll say, you know what? I don't work with people that can't respond within a business day, that can't hit deadlines. And I make it very clear up front. And from there, there's a little bit of a testing side too. You don't just dive in and give them 50 listings to optimize. You say, you know what? Let's do one with a due date of three days from now. And then let's check in and I'll provide feedback and then we'll give you two more and then four more until I actually build that relationship with someone. I've had clients that have come to me and they've hired a VA elsewhere and they're like, you know what, I'm two months into working with this VA, it's not working out, what would you do? And my response is, I would never let it get to the point where I'm working with someone for two months before I realize it's not a good fit. I'm trying to figure that out in day one, two, three. So I think that's the kind of tweaks that anyone listening out there can make to their hiring processes after you've actually made the hire, spend more time up front and add in that testing phase. Yep. It sounds like you have a lot of actual operating procedures that you kind of bring to the table day one. So it's not something of, hey, you know, what are we going to do when we get here? It's more of you have like a playbook, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you have to focus, as an entrepreneur, you have to focus on what you can control, right? You can't focus on what you can't control. If, if you put someone through the hiring process and they're awesome and they're meeting your expectations and they get sick or pregnant or whatever it is in their personal life, you can't control that. You can't adjust your whole business based on that. You have to focus, what can I control? What can I go back? What new questions can I ask during the interview process? How can I set expectations better up front? How can I test people? How can I protect my investment? Because that's what hiring is. You're making an investment, not just of money, but of your time as well. So focus on the whole areas of the hiring process that you can control and focus on improving that hiring process over time because no one has a 100% hiring record. It, it doesn't exist, you're gonna make mistakes, but if every time you make a good hire, you go back and you say, hey, what did this person do during the process that shows they're good and how can we get more of those? And when you make a bad hire, you say, how can we tweak this process to avoid getting that type of person again? That's how you have hiring success long-term. Now I see, there's another issue I see people run into all the time. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on it. Um, I'm a software person, I have a software background. I've been in software my whole kind of career. Um, but what I see very often is non-software folks or and this could apply to any kind of um, kind of really anything, but non folks that are not in that role try to hire someone for something they don't know anything about. Um, so I see it all the time, someone saying, I want to start a software company, I'm a X and <laughs> X is a non-software person. Uh, and what they and what their goal is is they're gonna go hire three developers somewhere, um, build this piece of software for them, and it'll be perfect, and they'll run the software company. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, where do you usually see that go? Yeah. So two quick tips. One, if you're gonna hire a software agency, make sure that the point person of that agency is not a salesperson. They need to actually be a developer that understands development and can actually do the work if needed. Don't be, don't work with, because if you don't know software and they don't know software and then they're talking to the developer, you're leading yourself up to disaster. That's gonna get really messy. The second piece is, I have an incredibly short leash when I'm dealing with developers. I understand developing is hard. I understand there's lots of factors that go in and revisions and, and stuff that might be common sense for me that's not for them and vice versa. But I only wanna work with developers that know what questions they have to ask in order to be able to complete stuff on time and, be, and honor their word. So getting back to that setting expectations, 
spend that extra time setting expectation and do that test project. And if someone can't hit a due date on the test project and can't factor in my feedback and get stuff done the way that I need, I'm very quick to move on because I've just from using developers, I know, hey, if it didn't work out well in test project one and it didn't work out in test project two, it's definitely not gonna work out in project seven, eight, nine, ten. So really have that short leash. But and developing is tough. You you sometimes have to go through different people and try them and, and find the right person for your need, but it's worth turning people down and trying people new until you find that person that's gonna be perfect for you. But let's say you don't know anything about the subject matter. So let's just say marketing. You've never done any marketing, you want to do uh, blog posts, you want to hire someone to produce this content for you. How do people go about hiring for a role they know nothing about? Or is that something you recommend not doing? Or what's kind of the process there? Because you see that all the time where somebody goes and says, you know, I hired these three people and, you know, to write all these blog posts and they came back and they weren't good. Or, But is that something that if you knew something ahead of time about that marketing or whatever it is, development, you could have prevented beforehand or is that not the case? So you definitely have to hire people for stuff you don't know about. It's, it's the key to being an entrepreneur. You have to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you in different areas. And I can spend the next six months learning how to be a Facebook ad expert and I'm a reasonably smart person. I could probably figure it out, but that's not a good use of my time, right? I need to hire someone that knows how to do it and can come in and hit the ground running. So the first side of it is, like you said, do your research, do your homework, make sure you can talk intelligently in the matter, or at least have the overall view of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what the white hat methods are, black hat methods, so you can have an intelligent conversation and an intelligent interview. The second side of it is referrals, using something like FreeUp where we're vetting the people or, or someone who's worked with someone you know before, that goes a long way. And the third thing is, we said focusing on skill is one part of it, and there are people that are a three out of 10, a 10 out of 10, a seven out of 10, but what's important is that they're honest about what they can and cannot do, and that they're priced accordingly. So what you need to figure out is, hey, is this person, can they actually do what they say they can do? That's what you care about over anything else. So when you just vet people for skill, that becomes very hard, because anyone can create a resume and might have references, but when you vet people for attitude and communication, when you look for people that are passionate about what they do, they're not just in it for the paycheck, they actually generally like it, they have a positive attitude, they don't get aggressive the second something doesn't go their way, and they have strong communication, they respond within a business day, you can get a hold of them, they can hit estimates and due dates. When you find people with good attitude and communication, those people are way more honest about what they can and cannot do. So a lot of those skill questions can get resolved just by hiring for the attitude and the communication, assuming you've done your homework and you've done the other parts of it as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. So I very rarely actually ask guests about their actual business, um, usually kind of just general questions. But one thing about FreeUp that I found particularly interesting is the whole pre-vetting. Um, I know like Upwork and a lot of the, the big platforms out there, um, you know, there's quizzes and there's some information, but it's really kind of just you know, whatever happens, happens, and it's up to you as the employer to vet them pretty much. You were saying you guys do some sort of pre-vetting, like what's that process actually look like? How does that work? Yeah, so if anyone's listening and they go to freeup.com, if you click top 1% of the top, you can see our, our full breakdown of how we vet people. I mean, it is my vetting process. It's the same process I used on my first business that I started with nothing and I made a hire and I went back and made the process better and another hire and I went back and made it better. So we're talking eight years of developing this hiring process 
And it's really built on that skill, attitude, and communication. For skill, we have skill tests depending on what it is. If they're a graphic designer, we look at their work. If they're an Amazon expert, we have Amazon questions. If they're a developer, we have dev tests they take. So the skill is different, but the attitude and the communication is what I talked about before. We do one-on-one -on -one interviews. We look for people who are passionate and caring and, and don't get upset the second something doesn't go their way. If I hate bookkeeping and I hire a bookkeeper, they need to love bookkeeping as much as I love being an entrepreneur. Those are the type of people that we add into the network. And then the communication, we have 15 pages of communication best practices. We know how important communication is. I've had so many bad communication experiences that ruined the, the relationship with people that had good attitudes and they had um, the skill, but they couldn't communicate. So they have to get memorized and get tested on those. I wrote it myself all based on my own experiences. So freelancers submit an application. If we approve the application, we do a one-on-one -on -one interview. If they pass that interview, then they go through the communication best practices and tests and then they get onto the platform. Oh, so you're interviewing every single freelancer. So, well, someone there is interviewing every freelancer. My team, yes. Yeah, not not you personally, I'm guessing, but- I mean, personally. I used now. to. Oh, wow. We get about 3,000 applicants a week, so I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, you'd be uh, answering email all day long, so. Very cool. So, any more tips you kind of recommend? Just, I'm just kind of, now I'm just kind of curious on anything in general, if somebody wants to get started, um, that we haven't kind of covered. Yeah, I mean, you have to, You. what I like to do as a business owner is I like to focus on low risk, high reward situations. So a perfect example of this is I'll hire someone to run my Instagram. It costs a few hundred dollars a month. What's the worst case scenario? It's gonna, I'm gonna spend three months, 600 bucks, I'm not gonna go homeless. And what's the best case scenario is they do a way better job than I could. They grow my business, they grow my brand, and, and I get new clients. And I do the same thing. It might be LinkedIn, it might be Twitter, it might be a lead generation team. And I, I know I'm just talking about marketing, but the point is you can do that with all parts of your business, making small investments, hire a VA for a few hours and see how it goes. And for the things that are working, put more money into it, put more hours, put more manpower and, and grow it. And the things that aren't working or you're not getting the ROI or it's not going the way you think, pull back. And it, it's a lot of people to get in the mentality with the courses and, and the gurus out there that there's just one way to run your business and you have to do it like this. That's not the case. You can try lots of different things and figure out what works for you. And that's what I've been able to do over the years and how I've been able to bootstrap two companies to go to that multi-million starting with a few thousand dollars because I just invest in different things and I read the market and I don't go in with a set mindset of this is how I'm going to get to the next level. I like that. So one question I like to ask everyone, I'm not sure if we should go in the direction of remote work or business in general, but recommended reading, recommended podcasts, what are you kind of listening to? What would you recommend? Um, I guess on a business level, but also on a remote level, um, if people want to kind of learn more and get a little deeper into this kind of subject matter. So I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I'm not a big <laughs> podcaster. I go on a lot of podcasts. Um, but in terms of books, I love the book Start With Why. And, and it just resonates with me on a, on a personal and business level. W with my Amazon business, it was fun. I, I made a lot of money. I learned a lot. I, it, was, it was an exciting time in my life where I was growing something for the first time. But at the end of the day, I was not passionate about selling baby products. And I'm still not passionate about selling baby products. So there, there was no why. There was no long-term future there. And with Free Up, I love every part of it. I get to help business owners around the world and go on podcasts and speak at conferences and share what I've learned and help freelancers provide for their family. And people get to show me their cars and their houses that they bought with that money. So 
there's just a real reason and a purpose behind it. And I've been able to find my why. And I think as a young entrepreneur, you kind of get in the mentality that profit and money and, and growth is everything. And as you get a little older and a little bit more mature and you do things that year in and year out, you realize that you have to have that purpose in order to get to the next level and, and actually be happy, be happy with what you're doing. So if you haven't checked out that book, I strongly recommend it. Yeah, that's a good one with uh, Simon Smack. Smack? Yeah, Smack. That's a, uh, he has some great videos on YouTube too. So he definitely, um, he's very good with that. So that's a that's a good one. And it's a, that's one of those things you kind of learn over time. And like you said, initially you think you're doing this at, for money or whatever reason. And then you once you get into it, you realize there's going to be like, there's going to be tough days. There's going to be days where you don't want to do it and having that kind of why and that thing that reason you're actually doing that's above and beyond just you know I want to make money or that sort of thing that's what keeps you coming back every day and that's kind of that's one of those things like you said you don't you don't know when you're getting started but you learn over time you need that why you need that north star to always be focused on awesome I think that's definitely very uh very helpful so thank you for coming on and if folks want to find any more information about you, um, obviously freeup.com, I'm guessing. Um, anywhere else you'd recommend? Yeah, so if you go to freeup.com with three E's. My calendar's right at the top. If you want to book a meeting with me about your business, I'd love to talk about it. Create a free account, get a $25 credit just by mentioning this podcast. Um, and yeah, you can check out the Free Up blog, the Free Up YouTube channel. We're always posting a lot of great content to help you um, hire, regardless of whether you use our platform or not. Awesome, Nathan. I will definitely uh, link to the show. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me.